Acts chapter 9. So, I know, you, you know, if you've read the chapter already, you're going, I can't wait to get to the end of the chapter where Peter heals this guy who's lame and where Peter raises a gal who is dead. Well, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> we're going to talk about Saul of Tarsus tonight, but I, I want to I jump off of those two things because it is amazing what Peter does at the end of chapter 9. I mean, God uses him to physically heal a man who was lame and, and allow his legs to be able to be, you know, useful again and to live the rest of his life with good, solid, sturdy legs. And then beyond that, Peter goes to this town and raises a gal from the dead. Can't do much greater than that, right? But in the first 31 verses of Acts chapter 9, we have a remarkable conversion of a man named Saul of Tarsus. And I want us to really drill down and zero in on this tonight. And I want us to see it, though, from, from this perspective. Many times, even as Christians, when we talk about miracles, and we sang about miracles tonight, when we think about the supernatural power of God being on display and being evident, many times we just automatically lean towards the physical miracles, the, you know, the healing physically of lame people and, and obviously raising from the dead. It's a pretty incredible miracle. But let's not forget something. What God did in Saul's life, in bringing Saul out of deep darkness into his marvelous light, was just as much a miracle of God. In fact, I would submit to all of us tonight that every one of us in this room that has been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and now have eternal life, you and I are a walking miracle. And we need to recognize that. We need to acknowledge that, that the spiritual miracles that God does is just as significant as the physical miracles that God does. In fact, as you and I even walk through the day of our life and we yield to the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us and he empowers us and energizes us to do things that you and I could never do on our own, that's a miracle. That is a display of God's supernatural power. And many times we don't acknowledge that as much as we should. We think of God's miracle working power and supernatural power as reduced to the praying for the physical needs of people and seeing God do miracles physically and healing people, and that's great, and I don't want to minimize that at all. But folks, let's understand something. The miracle working power of God is evident in our lives every day because the resurrection power of Jesus, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is living inside of us. And we need to say, hallelujah, God, thank you for your miracle every day in my life. Not just, in a sense, the miracle of life and of being able to get up, but to navigate each and every day as a child of God and being able to see life from a different perspective and have a different outlook and have a different attitude. And so that's what we want to focus on tonight, the conversion, the remarkable conversion of Saul. And what I want us to see, first of all, in verse 1 of chapter 9 is, notice this, meanwhile, Saul, still breathing out threats to murder the Lord's disciples, is the context of how Saul got saved. 
Now think about that. In sort of sandwiched in between chapter 8 and chapter 10, where you have the eunuch that we talked about last week that was really seeking after God and searching after God, he just needed the right person to show him where the truth was. And then over next week, we're going to look at Cornelius in chapter 10. And here again is a very God-fearing man who, who wants to know God in a deeper and fuller way. And God's going to make sure that Peter gets to him too, just like he made sure that Philip got to the eunuch. But here in Acts chapter 9, Saul's not searching for God at all. He thinks he's got God. Here's a man who's not, you know, somehow humbling himself and, and, and all of that. This is a man who's totally in the dark still. And yet God reaches down and literally sort of snatches Saul out of the fire. So what this tells us, because remember, this study of Acts is where we see Christ's vision for his church. One of the first things then I see, obviously, is God wants his church to be a powerful church, displaying his supernatural power, but God also wants his church to understand, I work in different ways with different people at different times, and you cannot put our God in a box. God doesn't always work the same way. And every conversion is not as, say, dramatic as Saul's is, but that doesn't mean it's any less a miracle. You know, some of us came to know the Lord just sort of gradually. We, we grew up in maybe a Christian home, and we always went to church, and it was just sort of, you know, we came to a place where we knew, yeah, I need to, I need to ask Jesus into my heart. Others may have, you know, been in absolute darkness in their life, and God brought them out of it. Again, all of us have different conversions, experiences, but the same supernatural power has to get us there, you see. And here, God is not waiting for Saul to somehow show interest in Jesus because he's never going to show interest in Jesus. He thinks Jesus is a blasphemer. Cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. See, he, he was all for seeing Jesus Christ crucified. He thought he was blaspheming God. Paul thought, Saul thought he was doing what was right before God. And yet he was totally wrong, totally off base. And so here's this man who is still going around murdering Christians and threatening the church. And it's at this point that God dramatically breaks through and wants to shine some light on Saul. So we read, that as he went murdering the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and requested letters, verse 2, from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, either men or women, he could bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. I, I want to talk about that, those two words, the way. Before, again, and we talked about this on Sunday, before Christians were called Christians by non-Christians because they reminded people of Christ, they were called people who belonged to the way because, again, it was about a lifestyle. It was about a way of living, a way that Jesus showed us how to live, which is why I think he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we see that very evident. It's a way. It, it's not just an analytical, intellectual, you know, assent to certain facts or certain knowledge. It is a way of living, a way of life. 
As he was going, verse 3, along, approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Again, a light from heaven. We all needed a light from heaven because the Bible says we all are living in darkness, spiritual darkness. And unless we have light from God, light from heaven to illuminate our minds and our hearts, we will stay in darkness. Now, not everyone who gets light responds to it favorably or receives it, but some like Saul do. And God knew that. You see, God knew with Saul that if he just had the right information, if he really knew who Jesus was, then he would become as passionate about serving Jesus and telling people about Jesus as he was trying to destroy the church of Jesus Christ and go around defaming the name of Jesus. He just needed to have some light. I mean, the Bible says his word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And God wants us to make sure every day that his people are living in the light so that we can be light so that we can let our light shine before men so that they can see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Light from heaven. So he fell to the ground, verse 4, and he heard a voice saying to him, and I believe that Saul, and this is significant, I believe that Saul had been around Jesus before he died, while he was here on earth, in his ministry, earthly ministry. I think Saul recognized the voice of Jesus coming from heaven because he knew that voice. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? We'll get back to that in just a minute. He says, who are you, Lord? Meaning that, is this God? Because again, that doesn't make any sense. And if he would have known who the Lord really was, he wouldn't have asked the question, who are you, Lord? Which again, boy, that, that's a sobering thing to think that this man, Saul, knew more about the Old Testament than probably any of his contemporaries. In fact, one of the reasons that we zero in on Saul of Tarsus, in fact, you see that even described of him in verse 11, a man from Tarsus named Saul. The reason why that's significant is because Tarsus was the center of intellectualism. Uh, it was a university city. It would be like today if someone said, uh, I'm from Oxford or Cambridge, automatically, you know, you sort of understand. Or even Boston, where there's places like Boston University and MIT and Harvard. You know, there, there's these centers of intellectualism, if you will. Well, that was Tarsus back then. It, it was rivaled maybe only by Athens as far as that kind of... So to be from Tarsus, it was like, whoa. And then Saul had this unbelievable education. And he knew about the Old Testament. But just like we said weeks ago, one can understand the mind of God and so miss the heart. Well, here, I mean, here's a man that knew the Bible, if you will, the Old Testament scriptures, Genesis to Malachi, better than probably anybody, yet he missed the most significant thing, which is Jesus as the Messiah. That's pretty big, considering you need to know Jesus is the Messiah to have eternal life and have your sins forgiven. 
He missed the most important thing. So it's sobering for us, again, in reminding us we need to beware that we're not just filling our heads with intellectual facts and knowledge about the Bible, and we're not allowing God to truly meet us at the heart level and to transform us and, and to know the heart of God and what his intents are as he revealed himself to us. So the voice replies, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Notice here in verses 4 and 5 how Jesus Christ considers himself one with his people, how he identifies with his people, and this is so important for us as the church to remember because many times in our Christian life, I think, you know, we can fall into the trap and even under the temptation of Satan that God does not care and that he's detached from what's going on in my life and that he's so distant. And that's not the case at all. He knows exactly what's going on and he's never detached from what's going on in our lives. In fact, he enters into it with us. Saul hadn't literally persecuted Jesus, but... He persecuted Stephen, and he persecuted all these other Christians, and Jesus took that personally, saying, you, you did it to them, then you've done it to me. So we need to remember something. The next time anyone persecutes us, any time someone causes us pain or hurts us, that means they're hurting Jesus too. That means they're causing him pain too because he enters in to the pain and hurt of his followers, and he takes that on himself just as he did with Saul. Jesus says to him, stand up and enter the city and you'll be told what you must do. Now the men who were traveling with him, verse 7, stood there speechless because they heard a voice, but they saw no one. And then verse 8, so Saul got up from the ground. Although his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And so leading him by a hand, his companions brought him to Damascus, and for three days he could not see, neither ate nor drank anything. Because I'm sure it was a pretty traumatic thing. Now, a couple things. First of all, notice the phrase in verse 8, Saul got up from the ground. God had to humble Saul. Just as God has to maybe humble us at times in our life. But notice something. God never brings us to the ground to keep us there. God brought Saul to the ground in the process of how he was going to save him so that he could raise him up. In fact, earlier on, we heard Jesus say, stand up. Yeah, I knocked you to the ground in a sense, but I want you to get back up. I got a plan and purpose for your life, Saul. I don't want you to stay down. So we need to always remember that. If God brings us low, if God brings us to the ground, it is only to humble us so that he can more mightily manifest himself through us rather than us trying to do it ourselves. And sometimes that's what God does. I'm sure it was humbling for Saul not to be able to see, having to have others lead him after he was sort of on the charge to throw Christians into prison and to see Christians wiped off the planet. But can you imagine what was going through Saul's mind and heart as he came to the realization that everything he had lived for up to that point was wrong? Uh, talk about humbling. And that the, the one that he thought was dead, Jesus, is alive and talking to him from heaven, that Jesus 
by no means is a blasphemer. In fact, Jesus is the Messiah, the very son of the living God. And he's now had to come to grips with that because he received this light from heaven. So no wonder he probably didn't feel like eating or drinking much. There was a lot that Paul, I keep saying Paul, I'm used to that more than Saul. At this point, Saul was processing in those just days right after he saw Jesus and heard the voice of Jesus from heaven. But here's something really cool that I want to get to tonight. So we've seen how God has begun to bring Saul out of the darkness into the light. But one of the things that we learn from Acts chapter 9 and really all the way through the book of Acts is this. God saves us so that he can use us in some way to save others or to be used by him to build up others and to help them in their walk with him. Let me repeat that. Because every one of us, this applies to. God didn't just save us for ourselves. It's wonderful, and we should celebrate the fact that we are saved and our names are written in heaven. But God didn't just want that to be the end. Again, God wanted that to be the beginning. So God saves us so that he can use us to save others. I mean, you think about Saul, who became Paul. Most of the New Testament was written by Paul. Paul became one of the greatest missionaries, if maybe not the greatest missionary that the world has ever known. I mean, how many lives did Paul impact for the kingdom? We don't know. Probably won't know till we get to heaven. But the point is this. God didn't just save Saul for Saul's sake. God saved Saul because he knew that Saul would be a man that would be on fire for God for the rest of his life. And he would be this firebrand in the hands of God that God could use to bring many, many people from darkness, just like Saul was, into his marvelous light. But God uses people in other people's lives at strategic times spiritually, just like he did Saul. So notice in verse 10, there was a disciple, again, very key word in the book of Acts, not a believer, a disciple, a devoted follower of Jesus Christ who just happened to be living in Damascus named Ananias. See, God has his people in strategic places. That's why he wants us to come together as his people, say, on Sundays and Wednesdays, but then we're all over the place during the week. All of us live in different areas we we work in different places, we, all of these different things so that his light can be scattered abroad and so that other people's lives can be touched. And God was going to tap on the shoulder of a man named Ananias to help Saul out in those few important days right after he began to know that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. And so the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, wouldn't that, I mean, can you imagine Literally hearing the voice of God say your name, but my, my friends, he does. He does say our name. I, I know I've heard him say, Jeff. <laughs> and to think that the God of the universe knows us by name, 
He knew Saul by name. He knows Ananias by name. And he says, Ananias, and he replied, and this is so cool, here I am, Lord. When we talk about Christ's vision for his church, not only do we need to remind ourselves about the power that he wants to manifest through us and about not putting him in a box and all of these things, but that God is looking for people who will just make themselves available. It's not about our ability as much as it is our availability because God makes us able when he calls us. And God is just looking for people in his church who will just say, here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do? What's your plan for me today? What's your will for me this week, this month, this year? I make myself available. Whatever your will is, God, I'm listening. Well, Ananias didn't know it, but God was going to give him a pretty cool assignment. He was going to help Saul sort of get a good start in his Christian life. Folks, we still need Christians like that today. Those who especially have a heart and burden to see new Christians get a good start and get a solid foundation underneath of them as they get started and get started right. We still need people like that at the church so that when new believers come, you know, there's somebody that can come alongside of them like Ananias did Saul, put their arm around and say, hey, let's meet for a while. I just want to share with you some of the things that I've learned as a Christian and some things that I think could greatly help you as you get started in your walk with God. That's huge. That's what Ananias did. And God knew that Ananias would be the right person for the job. So the Lord told him, get up and go to the street called Straight. And at Judas's house, look for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. Notice he's not breathing out threats anymore. He's praying. It's sort of one of the initial signs that Saul truly was converted at this point and transformed by his experience on the road to Damascus. He's a praying man now on his knees, not one who's running after other Christians, throwing them in jail. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and place his hands on him so that he may see again. Folks, when God is in the midst of moving and working, I've said this before, he works on both ends. He didn't just reveal himself to Saul and not to Ananias, and then Ananias had to figure it all out. No, he revealed himself to Saul. Then he revealed himself to Ananias so that he could bring those two together. God still does the same thing today, and he wants his church to understand that. When God is in something, he'll work on both ends. And he will bring us together so that we can collaborate and, and complement each other and and, and work together for his glory. Now, I love this. Ananias replied, verse 13, Lord, I've heard from many people about this man. Reminds me of, even as a pastor, certain people come into the church and you'll have somebody that come up to you and go, hey, you know so-and-so starting to come here? You know what they've done or, you know, that type of thing. And I've just learned over the years, I try, try 
to give everybody that comes through the doors of our church a clean slate. and a pro I, Doesn't matter what they've done. Where are they now? Where are they now? And so often we as human beings, even Christians, you know, we, we gossip and we talk about other people and whatever, and it's like, okay, but maybe they just need a second chance. And I want everybody to understand that we will strive at this church not to base, in a sense, our judgment or evaluation of you on what we've heard from others, if we've heard anything. And honestly, most of the time, I don't hear anything. But I do hear some. And I try to ignore that and just allow the Spirit of God to lead me and let this person sort of prove themselves here. And whatever evaluation I make of them, I make it based on where they are now and what they're doing here, not what they did in the past. I've heard from many people about this man how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to imprison all who call on your name. Isn't it amazing that even a man like Ananias that knows God so well and is such a great servant of the Lord still almost has to sort of be telling God, you know, are you sure, God? Because this man's got great authority when you're thinking, wait a minute, he's God, he's got all authority. Saul doesn't have more authority than God does. And yet somehow, sometimes in our thinking, we get a little like, you know, slanted. It's like, because again, wh why? Because we're looking at things from a human earthly perspective. On earth, this guy has a lot of authority. Yeah, but he, compared to God, he's got nothing. In fact, he wouldn't even have that authority if God didn't allow him to have that authority. God has all authority. But the Lord said to him, go. Because this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. Folks, if you underline your Bible at all, I would underline my chosen instrument to carry my name. And I'll tell you why. Because I think that is God's will for each and every one of us. Each and every one of us, the Bible teaches, is a chosen instrument of God to carry his name wherever we go. Because again, God has saved us so that he can use us to save and impact and influence others. Our salvation, in a sense, doesn't just stop with us. It is an ongoing thing where God uses what he's doing in and through us to touch and reach into other people's lives. And God wants us to understand every day that we wake up and every day we go out there in the world that we are a chosen instrument of God. God chose us. We are accepted by God. God said, I want you on my team, and I want you to carry my name wherever you go to whoever you meet. What an awesome description of the Christian life. A chosen instrument to carry my name. But then notice verse 16. This is the part that I'm sure Saul didn't like, and we don't like either. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, obviously, Again, God's will and plan for all of us isn't the same. And certainly, Saul, Paul, had to suffer way more than most of us will ever suffer. But you and I still, as Christians, living in a hostile world that is no friend of God's and no friend of God's people, we will still face persecution. And there will still be things that, as Christians, we have to suffer. We love the crown, <laughs> 
We don't like the cross. And yet the Bible always teaches cross comes before the crown. Cross comes before the crown. And Paul had to suffer many, many things for the cause of Christ. It, it just boggles my mind that I hear so many Christians and even pastors and teachers and evangelists and, and some you know, people on television and people who write books who somehow try to teach God's people that if you follow the Lord, you won't ever have to suffer. Like, God will bless you, and, and you know, you'll never be sick, and, and you'll never have to go through any hard times. And I'm thinking, where do we get that? Because it certainly isn't in the Bible. So Ananias departed, verse 17, and entered the house, placed his hands on Saul, and I love this. This is two of the most powerful words that I think a human being could have ever spoken to someone in Saul's place. He says in verse 17, Brother Saul. Folks, don't miss the power of a few words. That's huge. And here's a man who has murdered Christians. Here is a man who has tried to destroy the church. And now this other Christian has come to him and recognizes that God has done a work in his life and that God's miracle-working power has even brought this man, Saul, out of darkness into his light. And can I tell you, this remarkable conversion of Saul should also hearten every one of us because it reminds us there is, if God can save Saul out of the darkness he was in, there is no one beyond the grip and grace of God. Keep praying for those that are not saved. Don't give up because God's hand is certainly not too short to be able to save. You can always go back to the conversion of Saul. If God can save Saul, God can save anybody. Because again, Saul wasn't looking for God. Saul was still breathing out threats against the church of God. Brother Saul. It's like, you're one of us now. We, come on in. We accept you. Wow. Think about that. What, what power were in those words? Like, yeah, we're not going to hold all that you've done against us and the church, you know, against you. Come on in. You're now part of the family. I love that. And he's just a human being. He's not an angel. He's, you know, he's just this disciple that lives in Damascus who just says, here I am, Lord. What can I do? I'll tell you what you can do. Go put your arms around Saul and tell him it's okay. Welcome into the church. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, his strength returned. Two things, filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized. Saved, baptized, boom. That's the way you see it in the book of Acts. For several days, he was with the disciples, verse 19, in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue. I love that about Saul, because so often young Christians are like, well, you know, all I know is that Jesus saved me, and, you know, I, once I was blind, now I see. But, man, I, I don't want to start witnessing and telling people about Jesus because, you know, I haven't been to Bible college or seminary or, you know, I, I don't know a lot about the Bible or whatever. And what if people ask me questions that I don't know? Can I just tell you, they're always going to ask us questions that we don't know. And it's not about how much education you and I have. 
It's about just realizing, I know Jesus now. I can tell people about Jesus and how I came to know Jesus. And that's really all that's necessary. If they ask me a question I don't know, all we have to do is say, I don't know. But can I tell you more about Jesus? Because <laughs> I know him, and I know what Jesus did for me. He said, this man is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and were saying, is not this the same guy that was ravaging those who call on this name? What a change God did in Saul's life. What a change God can do in any life if we're open to God's working. But then I love this. Saul didn't stay there. Verse 22 does say, Saul became more and more capable and was causing consternation among the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Notice the phrase, Saul became more and more capable. In other words, again, Saul didn't just get saved and then just leave it there. Saul started to grow so that he could understand more and so that he could start to relate. Oh, all those Old Testament scriptures I know, now I understand. They relate to Jesus, so now I can use them to prove to other people that Jesus is the Messiah. Here's a challenge for all of us. Have we grown to the point where we could take the scriptures and prove to someone else that Jesus is the Christ? We should all strive for that. To be able to show people from the Bible, Jesus is the Son of God. That happens through our spiritual growth. Well, I know my time is closing. Let's wrap it up here from verse 26 through verse 31. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he attempted to associate with the disciples. That's another sign that Saul really got it. He was praying, he immediately proclaimed Jesus, and he wanted to associate with other disciples of Jesus. Those are all sort of evidences of true conversion. But notice, they were all afraid of him because they did not believe that he was a disciple. I think many thought he was an agent provocateur, like an under you know, underground, like, I'm going to sneak inside the church and I'm going to destroy it from inside rather than outside. I'm just faking it. But notice these words. Just as powerful as what Ananias said, Brother Saul is but Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the apostles. Oh, do we need Ananiases and Barnabases in the church today? Those who will reach out to those who are new in the faith and get them started on the right track, and then those, and it doesn't have to be either or, it can be both and, then those like Barnabas that can bring people new into the church, even like the Oasis Church, and try to get them introduced to, to people and, and, and get them into the family, if you will, and get them to build relationships and to know people better. That's so vital, even today, to have Ananiases and Barnabases who take people and say, hey, can I introduce you to some friends? Can we hang out? Can we get to know each other? That's still necessary in the church today. So Saul was brought by Barnabas to the apostles. He told them, no, this guy's the real deal. So in verse 28, he was staying with them. Saul, associating openly with them in Jerusalem and speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. Again, evidences of Saul's true conversion. But I, I want to end with this. In verse 29, he was speaking and debating, and they were trying to kill him. Isn't that amazing how quickly things turned? He was trying to kill them, the church. 
Now he's part of the church, and now the people that were once on his side now trying to kill him. When the brothers found out, they brought him down to Caesarea, sent him away to Tarsus, and don't miss verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria experienced peace and thus was strengthened. And then this is really important, especially for me as a pastor, but I would hope it'd be just as important for you. Living in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, the church increased in numbers. Can I tell you why that's important today and why the church and why church leaders and pastors especially, we need to hear that? Because we are living in a day and an age where there's all these books and all these seminars and all these conferences on church growth, how to grow your church. And it's all about, you know, modern techniques of advertising and marketing and all these different things. You know what the Bible's remedy for church growth is? Get a group of people who live in awe and respect and reverence for God and get them to start living in partnership with the Holy Spirit and God will bless that group of people and they will increase in numbers. That's how God grows his church. That's how God grew the church then. That's how God grows the church today. I mean, man can grow the church, but is it man growing the church or is it God growing the church? God said, you live in all of me, you respect me every day, and you partner with the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you, people will start to be drawn to you. And that's my prayer and hope for us as the Oasis, is that as we grow in our worship and in our understanding of the Word of God, that we will become a community of believers that lives in all of God every day and partners with the Holy Spirit every day so that we can be in the place like Ananias and Barnabas, where when God wants to save a Saul or, or work in another Christian's life or whatever, we can say, here I am, Lord. What do you want? What do you need? Can I, can I be of help or assistance? And where we can get people started on the right foot or continue them on the right road. And then you've got Barnabas's men and women that are so important that just go around just trying to, you know, get Christians hooked up, networking with each other, building relationships with each other, bringing them into the fold. Those ministries are just as vital today as they were 2,000 years ago. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this amazing, remarkable conversion of Saul. But God, may we all be reminded here in this room tonight that if we know the Lord Jesus as our Savior, you did a miracle in our life at one point too. And God, I just pray that we would remember every day that we ourselves are a walking miracle. And every day, God, we can be evidence of your supernatural power as we live beyond our own selves. And God, I just pray that we would become the church, the people of God that you always envisioned us being. People like Ananias and Barnabas and even people like Saul. People just like us, but people who are empowered and living in partnership with the Holy Spirit and living in all of you every day. God, would you take your people here and grow us spiritually and physically. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. See you next week.